God will heal you. Whatever need you have, we believe in faith that God will do that. So ministry teams, as Craig leads us, if you would just go to one of these people and pray. And if you're like on the real inside of an aisle, you may need to step out just so somebody can, can get to you and pray. So ministry teams, if you would uh, look who's standing, go and pray for someone. again as we do children sixth grade and below you're dismissed to go downstairs I, don't know, I keep saying that your youth room you're going across the way some of you are going downstairs but let's sing this chorus again and just declare who we are in him that we're free that we're blameless that we are clean and holy in his sight God, just turn to 
somebody right around you, greet them, say hello, uh, just bless them in Jesus' name. TV. your Bibles, turn to the book of Jude. Hey, if you're a first-time person here at Fullness, we're so glad that you're here. Um, welcome. Glad. Glad they're here. Welcome back, Hannah and Sarah, from their trip to an unnamed country in North Africa. <laughs> you ever see... <clears throat> Never mind. I was just going to make some jokes. Welcome, Jen Ridley. An unnamed country in Asia. I don't know. We're just going to unnamed countries. Uh, glad you're glad you guys are here. Uh, Jen will be sharing a little bit next week, and so uh, hope you'll you'll be here to hear her. Also next week we're going to start a series. Can I get a hallelujah? We're going to study the Apostles' Creed. Somebody is excited. I'm trying to get you guys pumped up for uh, to go to the Apostles' Creed with me, and uh, me and Gabe seem to be, and Scott seem to be the only ones really excited about this, but we're looking forward to it. Uh, it's going to be a great, and if you'll come next week uh, as I introduce this series, I think you'll, I hopefully will, I'll be able to paint it in a way that says, why is this important? Uh, I, I, recognized, um, I recognized the fact that we are a Baptist church. Some of you are a little shocked already. Um, you, you didn't know that, but we, we are Baptists in our heritage. And as a whole, Baptists are not creedal people. Uh, we don't put a lot on creeds. Uh, we, we, we hold up the Word of God as our authority. Um, but the Apostles' Creed is a creed based on the Word of God. Everything in it comes from the Word of God. And so we're going to study it as such and, and why something like this will, will help us, will inform us, will guide us, direct us. So I'll save that sermon for next week. Today we are finishing up a series called Big Little Letters. Throughout the summer we've been looking at the shorter letters of the New Testament. Uh, we just finished 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John over the last three weeks and today we're finishing up in the, the series looking at the book of Jude. Jude is one of the most challenging of the little letters. Uh, it's got so much crammed into its 25 verses, and some of the thoughts that are in there are very complex. And uh, so uh, I'm going to ignore those, and I'm going to go for the, uh, <laughs> the basic idea. I'll get to some of the complex ones, but there's no time to delve past kind of a a certain level to, to look at it just because we don't have time. But hopefully by the end, you'll see what Jude is trying to do, and it'll inform your reading of the book, and it will help you want to get more engaged with some of the passages from uh, Jude. Because uh, Sam Storm says this, Scripture has many functions, but none more vital than fueling and feeding our appetite for God. So even though we're going to look at these 25 verses, I'm not going to be able to unfold everything within them, but hopefully what it'll do is fuel and feed our appetite for God to a greater level. So I'm going to, rather than read the whole book like I've been doing some of the shorter books, I'm going to take it apart as we go along uh, because I think it'll help us in a better way of studying it. So let's just begin by looking at the first uh, couple of verses of the book of Jude. It says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. All right, look up here real quick. So here's what we know and here's what tradition dictates to us. Jude tells us who he is, who the author is, and that he is the brother of James. Now, according to tradition, this James is the half-brother of Jesus, uh, the one who was the leader in the church in Jerusalem that you see in the Jerusalem council. And that makes Jude also a half-brother of Jesus. So James and Jude, most likely, according to tradition, are the, the, the sons of Mary and Joseph. 
and the half-brother of, half-brother of Jesus. Now, we don't know this for sure. It's not, but again, tradition leads us in this way. And, and Jude and James, according to tradition as well, did not become followers of their half-brother Jesus until after the crucifixion, after the resurrection. They, they were probably the guys at the door trying to drag Jesus back home. You remember the story? They're the guy, oh my gosh, Jesus has gone off the rails. Let's go get him and bring him back home. But after his crucifixion and resurrection, they become not only followers, but become leaders uh, within the, the early church. We also know that Jude is writing to those who are followers of Jesus Christ. We don't know where, we don't know the circumstances of the letter exactly, but He's writing to those who are followers, and he begins by saying, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. He goes on and says, dear, in verse 3, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Again, let me just give you a foundation, then we're going to, it'll dictate how we go forward. Judah's saying, hey, I really wanted to write you a letter saying, hey, isn't this salvation we share great? And let's talk about salvation and how great it is. But instead, what he says is, instead, I got to write to a letter where I'm going to contend for the faith. I'm going to, I'm going to write this letter to you to say, hold on. Don't let don't you go off the rails. Do you understand that he's wanting to write and celebrate, but instead he's going to write in battle and say, hang on. Why, why is that? Because what has occurred in the early church, and, you know, we, we many times think, oh, you know, if I could just go back to the early church, if I could just be with the you know, the early church fathers and the saints, everything was great back then. You know, hopefully what you've seen in these little letters is everything wasn't great. All heck was breaking loose. You know, they, they got saved, but then people were taking the teachings of Christ and they're going in a whole different direction. Directions that we still see today because there's certain ways the enemy works over and over and over again, though he, he flavors it and colors it and paints it in a more modernistic light, it still has some of the same elements of lie woven into truth. And, and, and here's what J, uh, Jude is going to eventually tell us. Uh, truth plus lie equals lie every time. You can't mix a lie into the truth and still end up with truth. And one of the enemy's real ways to trip us up is to get, get enough truth in here so that when the lie comes in, we say, well, here's the truth. And the problem is the lie changes it at all. Do you know that almost every modern cult that has come down the pike that has really impacted the world started off with someone who was raised as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. I mean, I could go down. I'll just give you a list real quick. Um, Joseph Smith. I'm going to get in real trouble by calling Mormonism a cult, but I'm not going anywhere. So, um, you know, it, 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 Mormonism, Joseph Smith was raised a follower of Christ, his grandfather got mad at the organized church because of something it did, and he influenced Joseph Smith to go in a different direction. Jehovah's Witness, Charles Taze Russell, was raised in a strict Presbyterian house and church. Christian Science, Mary Baker Eddy, was reared in a strong Calvinistic environment. I'm not nailing the Presbyterians or the Calvinists here. Just, I'm just saying. Um, both of those came from very traditional upbringings. Spiritism, Alan Kardec, the Fox sisters. I don't know if these names mean anything to any of you, but they were all raised Christian homes and churches. It, I, I could just go down the list of cult leaders who started off as followers of Christ but then went off 
into something else, went off in a different direction. And Jude, what Jude is going to say here is contending for our salvation, contending for the truth and the doctrine and the character of God's people will lead you to hold on. You won't fail. But as soon as you start stop contending and allow even just a small lie to enter into your belief system, you're, you're, you're down a direction you don't want to go. We need to contend for true living. This is a matter, people, this is a matter of life and death. And I, I, I know that what happens within church life is that we believe that contending for the truth makes us ugly because we act ugly sometimes when we contend for the truth. That's not what Jude is saying. Jude is saying, listen, truth and love, hang on to these things, but you have to hang on to the truth. Here's the, here's the points he's trying to, to, to make. Let me just say this too. Again, there is a lot in Jude that will... Um, he uses examples from the Old Testament that aren't that familiar to many people. And so there's going to be a couple of examples. I'll give you some scripture references. You can go back and read the stories. I'll do the best quickly that I have to paint the picture. He also uses some quotes from things that aren't the Old Testament. The book of Enoch. Now, you can look back in your Bible and you're not going to find the book of Enoch uh, because it's a traditional Jewish writing. Um, and some people over the years have said, oh, because he quotes Enoch, we shouldn't have used Jude in the New Testament. But that would be like me writing Craig. Let's say I was the Apostle Paul, which I'm not. But I write Craig, and I quote C.S. Lewis. And then that letter becomes authoritative, Scripture. That's kind of what's happened here. He's, he's quoting something that they who were Jewish followers, excuse me, were Jewish, but now followers of Christ now know. Excuse me, I just have to cough. Give me one second. <clears throat> Do you all have these? You should get one. They're really good. <clears throat> Number one. Oh, where did we go? Number one, I lost the PowerPoint. All right, here's the word, deceit. The deceit of false teachers. Thank you. The deceit of false teachers. Verse 4 of Jude says this, For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. How you live and how you esteem Christ, they go hand in hand. You really can't separate the truth. Now, here's what we've tried to point out the last couple of weeks in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. John says, you love Jesus, therefore live this way. He does not say, live this way in order to love Jesus. Do you understand the difference? This is critical. Because many of us read 1, 2, 3 John, Jude, and we come to a place where we think, okay, i got to try harder. This is all about me trying harder. And they're not saying that. All these uh, apostolic authors are saying, because of your love, then let this follow. Follow this. And he, he, he is saying that the Word of God, the Scripture, the incarnate Word of God, Jesus Christ, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, these checks and balances that these three produce in our lives will lead us to holy living and keep us on a path. And what have ha what's happened here is that false teachers have come in and they're emphasizing certain things that take the whole picture out of balance. A couple of things he's saying. First is the goal of those who are false. The first is the goal of those that are false teachers. And ultimately, it's their own pleasure. Jude's emphasis here throughout his book is dramatically going to be standing against immorality. 
it, that's their, the false teacher's motivation, uh, trying to lead them into immoral living. And it, it is the ultimate goal of the enemy to rob God of his glory and to lead the people of God astray. So here's what's happening. These false teachers are participating with the enemy, Satan. It's meeting their desire, and it's fulfilling his purpose. And the purpose of the enemy has always been to rob God of his glory and to get us to worship ourselves, really. Here's what he says in Jude 8 through 10. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies reject authority, and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Again, this is a complicated passage that has a lot of meanings in different ways. But ultimately, he's saying that the enemy's goal is to lead us to to follow our own way, to slander what God is doing, to speak against him in some way, and to go our own path. So just as an example, let's look at Genesis. Back in Genesis 3, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. I know you know this story well. I just want to hit some highlights here. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your own eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The enemy, Satan, pictured as the serpent, comes and says to the woman, did God really say? Ultimately, one of the things the enemy tries us to get us to do is question the word of God. Does God, did God really say? Does God really mean? Does the word of God really say? And liberalism, liberalism from a, from a scriptural standpoint, I'm not talking about political conservative or liberalism here. I'm talking about liberalism in reading the word of God tries to get us to loosely interpret or read the word of God so that it meets our own needs. To read the scripture through the, the, the lens of me. This is how it'll meet my needs. And if it doesn't meet my needs, then what do I do? Yeah, let's, re- let's rediscuss it. Let's reinterpret it. Let's relook at it. It leads to the point where we say, did God really say? This can't be true. This can't be right. It's a denial Ultimately, that we're created in God's image. That there's something that's different. The scripture speaks a lot about guarding ourselves against the deception of false teachers and different types of false teachers. The second road of deception is not just liberalism. Did God really say, reinterpret the scripture, make it say what you want it to, but it seems as if the pendulum goes the other extreme, which is legalism. And, and, and here's the trap of, uh, of legalism. It, it gets us to add stuff to what God did actually say. Legalism takes us down the road. So, so here, here's the example. God said to Adam and Eve, hey, you can have fruit. Everything here is open for you. But don't eat of this fruit, or you'll die. When the enemy, the serpent, comes and questions Eve and says, did God really say you're going to die? She said, well, what he said was, we shouldn't eat, nor should we touch it. 
In other words, what happens? She adds to. God didn't say don't touch it. She, she's the one who's adding. This is the first instance in the Bible of what's called a pharisaical hedge. You can write that down. I can't spell it, but go ahead and write it down. A pharisaical hedge. And, and it's like this. Here's what God says. Here's sin. Don't do this. So we say, well, I really don't want to do that. So I'm going to put a boundary or a hedge up even further out so that I won't dare, I won't cross this hedge so I don't get tempted to fall into this. You with me? So like, I mean, we say to our youth all the time, hey, God says premarital sex, that sex is great, but it's reserved for marriage, right? I mean, that's true. So what we also then say is, hey, here's, this is probably smart. Don't put yourself in a position where you'll be tempted. Like, very, very few things happen in an apartment alone after midnight when you're with the opposite sex. So here's a good plan. Don't be in an apartment alone after midnight. Go home at 10, or don't be in an apartment. So we build it. In order to protect the truth, we put a hedge about it. Well, what has happened here is the hedge, which is a suggestion and a good rule for you to follow, then becomes a, a marker of your spirituality, right? So what the Pharisees had done is they, they, they said, here's the truth. Let's put a hedge. Let's put a hedge around the hedge. Let's put another hedge around the hedge. And let's keep building these hedges. And, and the furthest out hedge then became a, a, if you cross this, you are no spiritual person. Well, God never said that. I'm the one who said it. It becomes a judge of our spirituality. We do this a good bit, where we become legalistic. And the false teachers were, were, were entering into this. And Jesus condemns the Pharisees for this very reason. He says, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the Scriptures. So practice and obey whatever they say to you. But don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush you with impossible religious demands and never lift a finger to help ease the burden. The deception of legalism leads to death, not to life. It's a religious exercise, and it's not a relationship with Jesus Christ. Look, we could go down this road. I, again, I'm raised Baptist. So, you know, we, we in Baptist circles, we were like, uh, uh, we don't dance, we don't drink, we don't go with girls who do kind of thing. You know, we, well, why? Well, because the Bible says don't get drunk with wine. So rather than not get drunk with wine, I'm going to be a hedge about it, and I'm not going to drink. Now, listen, I, I am all for you saying, I'm not going to drink because I come from a history of alcoholism or I, I, I believe that um, uh, for me personally, I don't, want to, I don't want to do that. I want to how it portrays my, me to the world. There are tons of reasons for you to say, I, I'm not going to touch alcohol. But as soon as you get into a position that says, but if you do, you are not spiritual. Now you've built, you've become legalistic. And... and I'm not picking, dancing, who, who what, huh? <laughs> you know, really, you know, um, <laughs> Baptists are like, we don't believe in, uh, we, 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 we don't believe in premarital sex because it might lead to dancing. I mean, that's how kind of thing, that's how, how, how messed up our minds got uh, and the whole, the whole deal about these hedges. Now I'm making fun, but look, hold on to the truth of God. Hold on to the truth. It's, it's very, very important. But don't, as soon as we let false teaching and false ideas come upon us, then we're, we're in danger, just as Eve was, of being led astray. So the deceit of false teachers, it's, it's all around us. We need the, how, do, how do we hold on, by the way, to the truth? How do we hold on to the truth? I believe it's by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth who's been placed within us in combination with the Word of God, which is God's truth. That's why we are big here on the Spirit of God and the Word of God, 100% of both in our lives. Point two, 
is the destiny of false teachers. I'm getting a little fast here. Are you doing that or me? The destiny of false teachers. Sorry, I'm talking to the wind here. Uh, the destiny of false teachers. Jude makes it clear that those who lead people astray will receive what they deserve. Here's what he says in verse 5. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. Jude is about to enter into a discussion of what happens when we follow false teaching. And he begins by the nation of Israel. He says, hey, the nation of Israel, they got delivered, which is, a, by the way, a picture of salvation. Coming out of Egypt, it's a picture of what has happened to us. We were slaves. Now we're set free by God. And he's saying it's a picture of salvation, but once they got free, they didn't continue to follow their freedom because some of them weren't truly free. Their hearts were never set free. They were free physically, but they were never totally free. So when it comes time to enter the promised land, what do they do? Uh, there are giants there. We can't take this land. They rebel against God. And as a result, the whole generation is wiped out. That is their destruction. So he uses the children of Israel as an example of what's going to happen when we follow false teaching. And then, because they followed the ten spies who came back, not the two who stood for the truth. And he, in verse 11, he gives some other examples. He says, woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's era. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Now, unless you're a biblical scholar, and we have a lot of those in our church, by the way, people who love the Word of God, these three examples may not be all that familiar to you. So let me just highlight them for you and what I believe he's saying. The first is Cain's rebellion. Cain's, uh, the way of Cain. Now, we all know the story of Cain, I think. Cain killed his brother Abel. And I, even though murder is bad, I don't think that's what he's talking about. I don't think he's talking about even jealousy over Abel's. Cain, from a Jewish perspective, not only sinned, but he taught others how to sin. Once he went away, once he fled, he's seen as, as, as an example of a person who teaches others how to sin. You might think, oh, that's really horrible. Yeah, it's a bad thing. But how many times have we said, oh, it's fine, just come along? Or we've been with someone who said, hey, this won't bother, this won't hurt you, just come. Just do this. You know, I was talking about alcohol, for instance, earlier. You know, again, it in and of itself is not sin, but leading you into drunkenness, that is sin. And, and what we do is we take steps to get us to a point and so the sin of Cain, he's saying, the deceit of false teachers here is they're teaching you that sin is okay. Listen, who gets to define sin? God gets. Thank you, Emily. Emily, she's right there with me. It's wrong. God gets to define sin. In this day and age we live, you are taught by many sectors, that you get to define sin. You get to say what's right and wrong. And many times it's based on your level of personal happiness. You know, this doesn't make me happy, therefore it's wrong. This makes me happy, therefore it's right. If it doesn't make me happy and it's wrong, that means it's a sin. But if it, I am happy and it makes me happy, it's not a sin. I'm totally defining what is sin and what is not sin. God gets to define it. So anything that leads people into sin, it's, it's part of deception. It's the deceit. It's the, he's going to talk about their destiny in just a minute. He goes on. I, I can't comment as long on each of these, though it's good. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. Now this even goes farther. Just write these passages down. Numbers 22, 23, 24. Numbers 22, 23, and 24. Balaam uh, the, the nation of Israel is now after their fault. They're, they're, they're starting to conquer people that are in, their, in the way. God has given them deliverance. 
They're, they're headed into the promised land. They're going that direction. And the numbers 22, 23, and 24, a king, a Moab, Moabite king by the name of Balak, um, he sees this and he says, we, we can't stop him. Maybe I'll get a curse called down upon him. Now, we see this as all crazy talk, but it's not. He gets this guy named Balaam, and he pays him. Hey, come pronounce a curse over the nation of Israel. And Balaam comes. You remember Balaam's donkey talking to him and the angel? And that's all in this story. So Balaam says to Balak, I can only do what God shows me. Now, we got a problem here on a couple of fronts. First of all, he's acknowledging God, and he's acknowledging the fact that God speaks to him. And this guy has nothing to do with the nation of Israel, which shows me a truth, which is God is at work in bigger ways than we could ever know, right? So at times we think, oh, God can only do this. Well, God can do a lot. God speaks, according to Romans 1, 2, and 3, in a number of ways. And Balaam is a guy who hears from God. As a matter of fact, Balaam pronounces one of the earliest prophetic words about Jesus coming. He says later on about a, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He pronounces a prophetic, a Christ word. So anyway, I'm going to get stuck on this story because it's really interesting, but Balaam comes, and instead of cursing the nation, he speaks a blessing over them. And the king gets mad. I paid you for a curse, not a blessing. Here's some more money, another blessing. Here's some more money, another blessing. He gets really ticked off at him. I'm paying you all this cash, and you keep pronouncing blessing. And he says to him, look, the only thing I can do is what God tells me to do. He eventually pronounces six or seven blessings over the nation of Israel. And then in the next chapter, in Numbers 25, the next thing you know, the, the men of Israel are committing sexual immorality with women from pagan heathen lands. Now, it doesn't tell us right there what happens, but later on in Numbers and in Jude and in the book of Revelation, it tells us that evidently Balaam didn't pronounce a curse, but he said to Balak, okay, if you want your money's worth, if you want to trip these guys up, here's what you do. And he gave them the path to lead the nation into immorality. Even though we don't see it right there in the, the passage, it is, it is what's attributed. And eventually, he, he's killed by the nation of Israel when the Moabites are taken over, Balaam is killed. And it said he, he's put to the sword because he led the sons into sexual immorality. So you've got Cain who taught people to sin. You get Balaam and um, his greed and moral entrapment. So it's ratcheted up a level. Not only is he teaching, but now he's trapping people and he's doing it for monetary gain. And then finally, the, the other example is Korah. Korah is a guy in the Old Testament, number 16. And Korah just the bottom line, he, he gets ticked off at Moses and Aaron. He's from the Levitical priesthood. And he basically says, hey, why are these guys pronouncing the rules? Why do they get to say who gets what? And, and by the way, it seems like they're getting better stuff than me. And so he leads a rebellion against the authority that God has placed in their lives. And by the way, Kor is the one where uh, Moses steps out and says, okay, everybody wants to stand with Korah, you go stand over here. You guys just, whoever wants to be with Korah, you go here. I'll stand here with Aaron. We'll see what God does. So 250 join with Korah. The earth opens up. And Moses basically says, if the earth doesn't open and swallow them whole, then I'm not your leader. Now that's a prophetic word, right? <laughs> I'm going to stand here. You guys go stand over there. And by the way, if the earth doesn't swallow those dudes up, I'm not your leader. Boom. Earth opens and closes. 250 gone like that. And, and really, Korah is seen as a, a sign of those who challenge God's spiritual authority in a place. Now, I'm not trying to put the fear of God on you to say you can't challenge me. It's not that kind of 
teaching. But what, I, I'm, I'm talking about the authority of the Word of God, the authority of the Spirit of God, the authority that God places in. And, and it should make every one of us back up and say, you know, I'm not going to, if God says it, I'm going to hold on to it. Because the destiny of all of these people is destruction. Cain, Balaam, Korah, all lead to destruction. By the way, just do it. I want to do this, but I don't have time. Korah is a prophetic person as well and does hear from God. As a matter of fact, Korah, according to Jewish literature, he, he, he saw that one of his descendants was going to be a prophet, a priest, and a king. And, according to tradition, Samuel comes from the line of Korah. See, Korah's sons, a couple of them separated themselves out from their dad and said, eh, I don't know, this, I'm going to stand over here with Moses and Aaron. And they did. And their line continued. Even though Korah's rebellion led to his death and a lot of followers, he's a couple of his sons stood for the proper authority. Samuel is descended, and at least 11 or 12 of the Psalms, if you look, are attributed to the tribe of the descendants of Korah. They become leading musicians in the temple. This is a whole other lesson, but it's this. You know what? Your destiny is not tied into the past. To me, there's freedom in God. You can make your own way by his might and his power. And here's the destiny of false teachers. It is destruction. But there's also the, the hope of life that's ever held out before us. It's a great story. I should do a whole sermon on just Korah and the descendants of Korah someday. And then in Jude 6, it says, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home... These he is kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So, so far, all I've done is paint the nation of Israel. They, they, their deceit led to destruction. The angels, their rebellion led to their destruction. The ones who rebelled against God with Lucifer, and they're, they're going to be held in judgment. And he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. Surrounding towns themselves, they gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who will suffer the punishment of eternal fire. He's basically saying, Here, here's the nation of Israel, the people of God, not protected when they follow deception. Here are the angels of God. They are not protected when they follow deception. And here's even the pagans, Sodom and Gomorrah, when they follow sexual perversion. Their destruction is assured. So basically, if you follow deception, you have a certain destination, is what Jude is trying to say. Then he goes on to say, but there's deliverance from this. The deliverance from false teachers. Verse 17 through 19. I'm picking up the pace here just a little bit. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold? They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Dissecting this very quickly. He's saying, hey, this shouldn't be surprising. This has been talked about. We told you this was going to happen. You were told there are going to be people who come along and lead you astray. There are going to be those who divide you, who don't follow the Spirit of God, don't love the Word of God. What are they following? They're, by the way, I, I really don't want to get down this road, but what are they following? Their own natural instincts. They're saying, this is, basically they're saying, this is how God made me. This is how God made me, and I'm going to go this way because it makes me happy. Rather than the Spirit of God and the Word of God. But he's saying it's nothing new. This, is, this has been foretold. He goes on in verse, I'm just... I'm closing out the whole book of Jude, just from here on out, verse by verse, 20 through 21. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. This was foretold. You're gonna, these deceptive teachers, they're going to keep on coming. They're here now, and they're always going to be with us. 
How do you protect yourself? Well, build yourselves up in a holy faith. Study the Word of God. Build each other up. By the way, to me, this is a real commending word on why we go to church. Why we go to church. One of the ways we protect from false teaching is together. Together. Where will you get picked off? By yourself. Hey, just watch any of those National Geographic videos. Who do the lions go for? And a little antelope who's off over here by himself, <laughs> hopping around. That's the one they go for. The one who's, who's, who's a little loner. That's where people get picked off the most. I mean, I, I do believe fully in the body of Christ for a number of reasons, but one of it is a protection against false teaching, against deception. Any, any one of us can be deceived. I, I, I stand here and say I could be deceived at any point in my life. One of the things that protects me from not being deceived is you. Us. We. The we factor of the body of Christ being together. What else? Well, he says pray in the Holy Spirit. I, we can interpret this a number of different ways. If you want to interpret it as praying in tongues, that's fine. I don't personally believe that's exactly what he's talking about here. I'm thinking, I believe he's saying pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray by the person of the Holy Spirit. Pray. It's the Spirit of God indwelling you. And by the way, without the Spirit of God indwelling us and filling us and empowering us, our prayers are mere words. Worship without the Spirit of God is just a human endeavor. But with the Spirit of God, it becomes a powerful protection in our lives, the Spirit of truth. And he says, remain in true love. Wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Keep yourself in God's love. Stay in the love of God, not the other stuff. He goes on in verse 22 and 23, says, excuse me, I skipped ahead. As a matter of fact, it's not even there. He says in verse 22 and 23, Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. The first section of protection, by the way, is within the body of Christ. Stay together. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Stay in God's love. And now he says, hey, Another way to stay protected is getting out there and rescuing others. If you fell asleep, wake up for just one second. One of the ways to stay protected from the deceit of false teachers is rescuing those who don't yet know Jesus Christ. Snatching people from the fire. Lord, give me the strength to rescue one more. One more. One more. It'll protect you. You know, we see evangelism as optional. Hello? Many of us see evangelism, sharing our faith, as optional. You know, you know, Christ told me I'm in, and now every so often I should sign up another member into the club. And so that's part of my membership dues. Just find another person and sign them up. So the club gets a little bigger as we go along. And, that, and that's really, it's an optional deal how often I sign somebody up. Listen, if you've got that mentality of evangelism, you are messed up. You're messed up because he's saying, look, I made you a disciple. Now, here's my, here's my one thing for you to do. Go be a disciple maker. Go, go be a disciple maker. Not only is it not optional, but it'll protect you from stumbling and falling if you'll go and snatch somebody else. And Jude is good, huh? Timothy says this, Do your best to present yourself to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. By the way, when you get gangrene, do you know the cure for gangrene? You've got to get rid of it you got to get rid of it. People, we, we think we can live at peace with sin. You can't. You can't. 
It is so corrupting in your life that it'll destroy you. It'll kill you. You have to. You got to unload it. Rick Warren says, spiritual growth is replacing lies with truth. Spiritual growth is replacing lies with truth. I'm going a little long, but can you all hang on for like a couple more minutes? Thanks, Emily. <laughs> I got one yes. That's all it takes for me. I just need one. <laughs> I watched recently a, uh, a TED Talk by a professor at MIT. He's a professor of biology um, at MIT. He has a doctorate, medical doctorate from Harvard. His name is David Page, and he's head of the Whitehead Institute at MIT. And he does chromosomal research. Some of you are like, holy, well, this just took a turn I wasn't going with. But <laughs> you see, we, we live in a day and age that says basically this. Hey, all humans are like 99.9% .9 alike chromosomally. We're all alike. There's no difference between us. So we should just embrace the sameness of who we are. David Page does a study where he says, listen, we're more different between genders than we really understand. So, I don't know if I can do this in like two minutes, but hang. So you've got 23 pairs of chromosomes. Between the genders, 22 of those 23 are the same. But there's one pair that's different, right? So if you're a female, you've got an XX makeup in the, that last pair. And if you're male, it's XY. So any two males on the planet are 99.9% .9 alike. And any two females on the planet are 99.9% .9 alike. But the difference between a male and a female is 98.5%. I mean, they're, they're alike 98.5%. In other words, there's, are you hanging with me? There's 15 times more difference between a male and a female than a male and a male. And this chromosomal difference goes to the very cellular level. Rob, you can correct me when I'm all of this later. I'm just going on what this on David Page says. It goes all the way down to the cellular level. David Page makes the connection that this. You, you're more, you're, you're just, you're 98.5%. That's the same as between a man and a chimpanzee. That's the same similarity as male and female. And yet, we live in a day and age that's telling us the only difference between male and female is at the reproductive level, right? And, and, and sexual identity is a matter of choice. He, David Page, he's not even making this argument. What he, the argument he's making is this. We treat males and females from a medical standpoint the same. In other words, if you have cancer, a lot of times you're going to get the same treatment if you're a male and a female. And yet, at the cellular level, you're different. When he goes into research institutes, he says to the people who are studying how does cancer affect cells, he says to them, are you treating a male or a female cell? And he said, they never know. At least they didn't when he did this talk. They never know. And he's saying, but it's different. They'll respond different. And if you want the proof, women are five to eight times more likely to get lupus than men. Men are eight times more likely to have uh, some sort of uh, attention deficit disorder. I mean, there, we, you could just, Earth is like, I know, <laughs> preach it. <laughs> Where was I? Uh, what am I talking about? <laughs> I could go down, I could go down the list. We are, we are radically different, and yet we live in an age. Hey, I'll give you a, a story from my own life, and I don't care if you tell her, I told you. <laughs> Some of you were making fun of me last week. The other day, we're, Kathy and I were in our room, and she said, you know, we're getting older. 
Her birthday was this week. It was yesterday. So go wish her happy birthday. But she, we're getting older. And she said, you know, you're getting fat. Now, I, I am not fat, first of all. But I have changed a little bit. You know, things are different. Now, listen to this. She can say that to me. If I were to say that to her, <laughs> you tell me we're not different. She's not getting fat, by the way. I'm not saying that in any way. She's a lovely, lovely woman. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying to you. <clears throat> Here's the point I'm trying to make, this. Truth will prevail. Truth will prevail. And we, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are given, we are given the opportunity to hold on to the truth of God's Word. Here's how John Piper said, this is, I love this. He said, the challenge before us is not merely to do what God says because He is God, but to desire what God says because He is what? Oh, praise Him. He is good. The challenge is not merely to pursue righteousness, but to prefer righteousness. The challenge is to get up in the morning and prayerfully meditate on the Scriptures until we experience joy and peace in believing. With His joy set before us, the commandments of God will not be burdensome, and the compensation of sin will appear too briefly and too shallow to lure us. In His presence, there's what? Fullness of joy. At His right hand, there are pleasures evermore. Jude closes out with one of the greatest benedictions in the Bible when he says, to him who is able to keep you from what? From falling. And to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God and Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Lord, we thank you. With this benediction ringing in our ears, we say thank you. We don't fear faults because we stand in the true. And we declare greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. And as a result, we have the ability to stand for what is right, the truth that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh that we have been redeemed by his blood, that the empowering presence of God, the spirit of God indwells us, that we are the body of Christ. And so, Lord, today we say thank you. Now to him who is able to keep us from falling. We say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take up an offering. Gabe is going to give you a couple of opportunities for service. I know I ran long. Hopefully you found it worth it, um, trying to cover a whole book in this, this amount of time. Gabe is going to uh, fill you in a couple of opportunities. We're going to take up an offering and watch a video. You'll be dismissed after that. Okay, awesome. Um, so before we take an up an offering, I just want to say um, we have our connection cards in the seat back in front of you. If you're visiting with us today, we'd love to just find out that you're with us today um, so we can be praying for you, also so that we can send you just a, a letter of greeting in the mail. Um, if you're also visiting with us, of course, no obligation to give. Um, and our view here of giving is just this is an extension of our worship. Um, as we take up an offering, um, and ushers can go ahead and come forward, uh, we're going to watch a video that is... Um, that Paul David Tripp put out, and this will kind of give us, give you guys a sense of what the conference uh, will be that we'll be having here in just a few weeks, and I'll say a little bit more about that after the video. Good morning, and welcome to Fullness. My name is Wendy. Here at Fullness, we're called to encounter God and His people, experience the power of the Holy Spirit to help you discover your purpose, and to expand our influence by making a difference. We're so glad you joined us this morning. Come, let's worship Him together.
It's so important in the press of everyday life, in the busyness of everyday parenting, to keep the big picture in view. And here's the big picture. What in life could be more important than to be one of God's tools for the forming of a human soul? Let, let that sink in. That God has placed you on site as a parent to form the most significant thoughts and desires and choices in the heart and life of a child, to help a child get to know